You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Join me in the hearing of God's Word, Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 10 and 16 through 24. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, Oh, King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king." The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who were falsely accused, who had falsely accused Daniel, were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the Word of God that the Holy Spirit inspired to be written. We thank you that all of Scripture points to the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace that you have given us in and through him. We pray that now that you would illumine the reading and preaching of your Word, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the good news of Jesus. 
for us today, that we would respond to it with obedience and love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, church family. So great to see you guys here on this first Sunday in August. Uh, if you're visiting, want to especially welcome you. I'm Corey. I'm the senior pastor here at Third, and we're really grateful that you're here with us. We've been in this uh, study this summer. Each week, we're looking at um, maybe a, a classic Old Testament that even if you never grew up in church, you probably have heard bits and pieces of these stories before. And what we're doing is we're looking at how these stories almost serve like signposts um, along a trail. Uh, they're pointing to something. They're, they're, not, they're not just entertaining stories or stories telling us how to be good, but they're stories that are pointing to the great big story in the Bible, which is the story about how God loves us and has rescued the world and rescued us through his son, Jesus Christ. So, so how do these little stories in the Old Testament point to the big story of the Bible? That's really what we're asking this summer. So today we get to um, this great story of Daniel that uh, maybe you kids have heard before about Daniel in the lion's den, and just want to give you a little bit of context about this story. Um, So this story takes place in the time of Israel that was called the exile or the Babylonian captivity. So for many years, the Israelites had kings like King David and King Solomon, and there were many more kings, and most of the kings actually were pretty terrible. Uh, And they led the people into idolatry and the people turned away from God again and again. And so because of this, God allowed his people to be taken over by their enemies. And the worst of those enemies were called the Babylonians. So the Babylonians attacked Israel. They attacked Jerusalem. They ransacked the temple. They destroyed all of the sacred parts of the the people of Israel. They killed, they desecrated, and they dragged many, many Israelites into Babylon to make them captives and slaves. It was a terrible, dark, and horrible season in the life of Israel. Now, what the book of Daniel is about, it's telling the stories about four of these young men that were brought as captives to Babylon. Daniel and his three friends, actually, mostly we know them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as their good friends called them, Shadrach and Benny. That's what we'll call them today. And these four guys are conscripted into the Babylonian government. This is often what the Babylonians did. Um, This was actually kind of a ruthless way for them to take out their enemies. Instead of just killing everybody, what they would do is they would take the best and brightest of their enemies and they would conscript them to be completely assimilated into Babylonian culture, thus eradicating any potential threat of revolt. Um, And so the book of Daniel essentially tells how Daniel and Shadrach and Betty attempt to navigate the treacherous situation of working in the Babylonian government. It tells us stories about how they, on the one hand, tried to be really true and faithful and really good workers and tried to, you know, demonstrate to be people of integrity on the one hand, but also how they, at the same time, had to deeply resist the pressure of a profoundly pagan and anti-God environment and they, how they had to learn to resist being completely assimilated into Babylonian culture. And so sometimes as they attempted to walk this fine balancing act, sometimes they met great success and they were promoted and given opportunities of great influence in the Babylonian government. And other times their resistance to the Babylonian culture got them into really, really big trouble. And so Daniel 6 is one of those times when they got into big trouble. And if we had another sermon and another series even, we could preach about That We could preach about how this is a great, actually, book for us to figure out how we can operate in a pretty secular environment like the one we live in today and both seek to be 
faithful contributors to our society while at the same time resisting the ways that we can be corrupted by it. But I'm not going to preach a sermon about that today. Uh, That's for another time. Okay, so Daniel 6. What happens in Daniel 6? Okay, so Daniel has been working now in Babylon for many, many years. In fact, get this, all you octogenarians out there. Daniel's about 80 at this point. So let's hear it for octogenarians. They're heroes too. Let's... (laughs) We got, we got some in the house. Oh, Jerry, you're 90. No, you're past it. Um, um, so anyway, so Daniel's like 80 at this point. He's been working, I mean, just think about that. He's been working in a pagan, foreign, Babylonian environment his entire adult life. I don't even know if he remembers what it was like to be a boy in Israel. And he's actually served under three kings. So first Nebuchadnezzar, then Belshazzar. And then at some point, Babylon, Babylonia was taken over by the Persians. And so at this point, he's actually serving under a Persian king named Darius the Mede. So Darius decides that he wants to have like a group of people that he can put in charge of his government. So he creates this position called satraps. So there's 120 of these guys. And then he puts three senior administrators to oversee the satraps. And one of those three administrators is our boy, Daniel. And so Daniel is operating with these two other guys. And Daniel does such a good job. And he's such a person of great character. And he has so much integrity. And he works so hard. And he does his work so well But Darius is like, this dude's the best. I'm going to put him in charge of everything. Well, the other satraps get word of this. The other two administrators get word of this. And they're like, "Uh uh-uh, over our dead body. I mean, we don't want that foreigner Daniel serving us. We hate that guy. And so they try to find everything they can to get Daniel in trouble. They look for any sort of corruption, any way that they can like trap him in some way, but they can't find anything. There's no corruption, nothing he's done. He's never done anything wrong, no missteps. They can't even find like an impetuous tweet or a really unfortunate photo he took in college at a frat party or anything. I mean, they can't find anything on this guy. He's clean. And so they say, well, the only way we're gonna get this guy It's if it has something to do with the law of his God, because if there's one thing we know about Daniel is that he will never do anything to be unfaithful to his God. So they go behind Daniel's back and they go to King Darius and they say, oh, great king, you are so wonderful. And we have such a great idea. We think that what you should do is have an edict that for the next 30 days, No one should pray to anyone or any God except for you because of your supreme awesomeness. And the king's like, yeah, sounds like a great idea. Let's put it into law. And so, of course, when Daniel hears about this, what do you suppose he does? He ignores it because he's like, that's dumb. That's a dumb law. And so he goes into his room. He doesn't even bother to close the windows. I'm like, dude, at least close the windows. But he doesn't even close the windows. And he gets down his knees, just like before, three times a day, to thank God and to praise his God and to pray to his God. And of course, the satrap posse is ready. They have mic'd up the room. They've got like secret cameras and spies. They got the whole thing recorded. And they say, aha, we got you. And they take the evidence and they run to King Darius and they say, oh, king, is it not true that you established an edict that if anyone prays to anyone in any God except for you, they will be thrown into the den of lions? Oh, yes, he said, I am the king. I am the supreme one. I did say that. Mm-hmm. Well, do you know who ignored your law and has ignored your supremacy? No. Who? Dan- D-A-N-I-E-L. We tell you what? Daniel. No. Yes, he did. And Darius can't believe it. Oh my gosh, this is like his best guy. 
his best leader, his, his, you know, the guy that he was going to put in charge of like the whole kingdom. No, not Daniel. And he tries to do everything he can to get out of it. He looks for every loophole, but in the end, he knows he just has to follow through on his word because if he doesn't, nobody will respect his great awesomeness anymore. And so he says to Daniel, I'm so sorry, my brother, but you know, I just got to do it. I got to throw you into the pit and may your God who you serve continuously protect you. And Daniel's like, I guess you got to do it. Okay, and so let's do it. And they do it. They throw him into the pit. Now, kids, I, don't, I, I really don't think that we have really grasped the terror of this situation, right? We've heard this story so many times. We see like little felt lions on the Sunday school boards. But listen, the, the Persians, the Persians were brutal. I mean, they were known for the brutality of their forms of execution. Um, I mean, the, the, they, what they would do is they would, would dig a pit under the ground. It was like a cavity almost, almost like a tomb under the ground with a hole at the top that they could roll a stone over. And they would throw in there a, a, a den, they would make it into a den of beastly lions. And just so we're clear about lions, lions are, are some of the fearsome and wildest of all animals. Their uh, teeth are, are uh, seven centimeters long. Did you know that one was three inches long? Their claws can extend to four inches. Their, their mouths can open wider than the length of your head, and the snap of their jaws can snap the back of an oxen. They can jump 35 feet. They can run 50 miles an hour. Did you know this about lions? These, and what they would do is they would starve the lions. And so they would get worked up into this feverous, ravenous state such that when they throw a person into the den, they say before the person even hits the ground, they're crushed and clawed and torn apart and consumed. It was a horrible way to die. And so... They throw Daniel into the pit and they cover the entrance with a stone. And Darius stays up the whole night. He's so worried about what's going to happen to his favorite guy. And at dawn, he runs to the entrance and he rolls, he has the stone rolled away and he calls in, Daniel, has your God rescued you? And of course he had. Daniel was safe. Who knows what Daniel did all night with the lions? I mean, what a scary sleepover. That must have been. But one thing we know that didn't happen is he did not get eaten. And so they pulled Daniel up without a scratch. And Darius was so overjoyed and so angry with the men that framed Daniel that he threw them and all their families into the pit instead. And verse 24 says that before they even reached the floor, the lions overpowered them and crushed them and ate them for breakfast. The end. All right. Well, are you ready for communion? <laughs> okay. No, so seriously, like, that's a great story, but what does that story have to do with Jesus? <laughs> I mean, that, that's what we're asking in this series, right? Like, what are these great stories in the Old Testament that are so, you know, interesting and, and inspiring? I mean, how do they point us to the great big story of the gospel? That's really the question. Um, if, you, if you grew up in church and you heard this story in Sunday school, you might have heard uh, something like this. Like, hey, kids, the moral of the story is, and no, no judgment if you ever told a kid this. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to throw shade on you. The moral of the story is, if you are good and you trust God like Daniel, 
then God will take care of you too. So be courageous and be good and God will take care of you. Now that's what I would call um, the moralistic approach to this story. And frankly, um, I'll just be honest, that approach I think has messed up a lot of people. And you might be a person who has been messed up by the moralistic religious approach of many Christians. Uh, That is certainly not the message of the Bible and it is not the message of Christianity. Um, And I want you to know that, that if you have been hurt by a moralistic religious approach to Christianity, I'm sorry, and that it was not the good news of Jesus that you heard. There are plenty of people who have lived really good lives and people who have trusted God and who have been thrown to lions and it didn't work out for them. And their hopes were dashed and their bones were crushed and their lives were even taken away. And if that's the way you want to read this story, then I'm telling you, you are setting yourself up for failure and disappointment and disillusionment. So if that's not the way we're supposed to read this story, then what is the right way to read this story? Well, remember what we've been saying almost every week. The Bible is mainly a book, not about you and what you're supposed to do for God. The Bible is mainly a book about God and what God has done for you. So what does this story say about God and what God has done for us? Well, two simple things as we come to this table. First, I think that this story tells us that one day God will shut the mouths of all the lions. One day, God will shut the mouths of all the lions. You know, the lions are not just an irrelevant accessory in this story. Throughout the Bible, especially in the Psalms, roaring lions represent all that threatens us as humans, everything that's wrong with the world, all the chaos and the danger in the, in the potential suffering and sorrow in the world that comes against us. And so Psalm 7, the psalmist says, O Lord, save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Psalm 57, 4, the psalmist likens the lions to his enemies. He says, I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords, Y'all, I mean, goodness, the Bible is, this, this, this book is not this book that paints life as some moralistic cakewalk. I mean, the Bible is very realistic about how hard it is to be a human person and how difficult life can be and how life can just, even when you live the right way, life can be so horrible and painful and full of suffering and something can come around the corner that you least expect and cut you to the ground. And the Bible is very raw and real that, that, The world that we live in is full of beasts, whether it's death, whether it's evil, whether it's other people who cause you harm. And being a believer, a follower in God does not save you from any of that. In fact, sometimes it makes it worse. Sometimes because of your loyalty to God, you get thrown into a pit. And yet there is a promise throughout scripture. There's a promise Like the one we find in Isaiah 11, verse six, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. So the promise is that God sees the plight of his people. He sees us when we're suffering and drowning and falling into pits, that he sees and he's coming. He's coming to silence the roaring of the beast, to close the mouths of the lions, all that threatens us, to take that evil that is prowling around like a roaring lion and to shut its mouth forever so that it can no longer do us any harm. See, this in this story is a promise of a world made right when evil is defeated and all that threatens us is taken 
away. And for, I just want you to put yourself in, in, the, in, the, in the place of these Israelites living in captivity who were hearing this story. See, for them, this was a story of hope. Everything they knew had been destroyed. Their family members had been killed. Their temple had been desecrated. They've been dragged and are now living as captives in a foreign land. They're sad. They're scared. They don't know when they're going to get home again. And they're probably wondering if God even loves them and if God is even there at all. They, they, they probably feel like they're living in a den of lions. And so for people like that who are scared and losing hope, do you see what a story like this could mean to them? Or what about the early Christians in the first two centuries who saw their leaders literally thrown to lions in the Colosseum in Rome? Do you see what a story like this could have meant to them? Or what about a little boy or a girl who's kidnapped from their families in rural India and trafficked into brothel or brick factories? Do you think that a little child like that could look at this story and find some hope or, 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 or some Ukrainian Christians driven from their home, chasing for hope as they run from the, the, the violent rampage of a madman. You see, what this story ultimately says is that when you are in the midst of lions, God sees you and God knows you and is with you. And in the end, God will shut the mouths of the beasts that threaten you. He will come to save. So that's the first promise that I want you to hear today, friends. You, you may find yourself in what feels like a lion's den. I don't know. Maybe it's something that you're dealing with at work. I know a lot of you might feel that way about what's going on in your family or with one of your kids or in your home and your marriage. Maybe it's something that's happening in your own body. But this story speaks of hope that God knows, God sees, and God is coming for you. He will shut the mouths of the beasts that threaten you. And you may say, well, I'm not really experiencing that yet, but it's because the story hasn't finished yet. To paraphrase John Lennon, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay yet, it's not the end. The promise is that God will quiet and shut the mouths of the beasts, and he will bring us into peace. That's the first promise here. God will one day shut the mouths. And the second promise here is that God himself is the one who saves us from the lions. I want to be clear. This story is not about how good Daniel is, though he is a good person. But this story is not about Daniel's goodness. It is about how faithful God is. Daniel doesn't shut the mouths of the lions. Are we clear on that? <laughs> who shuts the mouths of the lions? God does. Thank you, little ones. Daniel himself says it. He says in verse 22, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. Now, presumably, this is the same angel. If you go back in chapter three and you look at the story when Shakrach and Benny were thrown into the furnace and Nebuchadnezzar looked in to see if they had been burned up. And what does he see? He says, not three, but four guys are walking around in the furnace. And he said, the fourth one, verse 25 of chapter three is like a son of the gods. Now, we can't know for sure who this angel is that shows up in the furnace, that shows up in the den of lions, but many Christian interpreters have seen this person as the, the pre-incarnate son of God, the, the incarnate God himself in Jesus Christ come into the pit with his people. 
And of course, we know, know that for sure, but certainly this figure is pointing to that because we know if the bi- biblical story that there is someone who is the son of the God who gets thrown into the tomb, deep into the pit, and has the stone rolled over it, and he gets thrown into the furnace, the fiery furnace of the judgment of justice of God. And yet this one gets thrown in, and he is not rescued. This one gets thrown in, and he is not pulled up unscathed. In fact, Psalm 22, which Jesus quotes from the cross, says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cry out day and night, but you do not answer. Roaring lions, tearing their prey, open wide their mouths against me. Those very words were on the lips of Jesus. And so this story doesn't just promise that one day God will shut the mouths of the lions, but it shows us how God does that. And he does it by facing the lions for us that Jesus Christ went into the ultimate furnace, the ultimate den of lions, not just to face heat and claws, but to actually endure the fiery justice of God against us, to be swallowed up and ripped to pieces by the beast that threatened us, devil, the devil and death and evil itself. He's faced all of this on our behalf. And does that mean that because Jesus did this for us that we'll never have any problems or we don't ever have to be scared or we'll never be afraid? No, of course it doesn't mean that. But here's what it does mean. It means that Jesus has faced the ultimate beast on our behalf. He paid the ultimate debt on our behalf. The ultimate death has been destroyed. The most fearsome terror against us has been silenced. And now because of Jesus, because he faced this before us, nothing, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers nor anything that could ever terrorize us can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because he did this for us, we are safe and secure forever in the love of God. And so we can say, like the great words of the hymn, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. So friends, as we come to the table today, I want you to claim, I want to invite you to claim this promise of hope that here at this table, we're looking back and we're looking forward. We're looking back to the one who endured the beast for us, who was consumed for us, who was who ultimately went into the pit on our behalf. And that's what we celebrate at this table, that Jesus gave his body and blood that we might be rescued. And so we look back and we also look forward. We look forward to the day when the beast will be silenced. And this table anticipates the great feast of the lamb when all will be well and creation will be healed and everything that threatens us will finally be put to rest. So let's pray that the Lord fills us with that great hope as we come to his grace today. Let's pray. Our Father, we are indeed so grateful that every story points to the great story of Jesus and his great work on our behalf. And as we come to the table this morning, would you fill our hearts with hope? 
May we celebrate and receive the good news that Jesus has faced the terrors of the night for us, that he has not just faced down the beasts, but been willingly consumed by them, that we might be forever free. And I pray that you would give us hope today that as we anticipate all that is against us, we would know that Jesus is for us and that a day is coming when all of the raging terrors of the world will be silenced. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.